Chapter 34 of The Exploits of Juve by Marcella Lane and Pierre Suvestra. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 34 Fantomas's Revenge. Phew, here I am. Checking his headlong course at the top of the terrace steps, Fantomas rapidly entered the house, then double locked himself in. The ruffian at once inspected the fastenings of the windows and doors on the ground floor. The monster cocked his ear. Three calls of the horn sounded dolefully in the silence of the night. Fantomas counted them anxiously, and then exclaimed, There, that's my signal. My driver is taken. A slight shudder shook the sturdy frame of the man. He went up to the first floor and peered through the shutters. He caught the sound of footsteps. In the light of a street lamp, he suddenly descried the outline of his driver. The latter, among half a score of policemen, was walking, head bent, with his hands fettered. Poor fellow, he murmured. Another who has to pay. Ah, they have left my sixty horse for my use presently. But there is no time to lose. I'll bet that Juve, flanked by his everlasting journalist, will not be long in coming here. Very well. Juve, it is not as master that you will enter this house, but as a doomed man. Fantomas now became absorbed in a strange task which claimed all his attention. On the floor of the dark closet where all the electric gear of the house terminated, the bandit laid a sort of oblong fusee that he drew from his capacious cloak. He fitted to the end of this fuse two electric wires previously freed of their insulator. Then, having verified the tie of the pull of the distribution board, he hid the cartridge under a little lid of wood. Then he left the closet, taking care to double-lock the door. These detectives, he growled, are about to witness the finest firework display imaginable, and, I dare say, take part in it, too. Dynamite can transform a respectable middle-class house into a sparkling bouquet of loose stone. Such was indeed the fearful reception Fantomas held in reserve for his opponents. He had made everything ready to blow up the house and escape unhurt himself. If Juve and Fandor had paid more attention to the piping of the wires, they would have seen that some of them ran outside the house and disappeared below ground, reappearing at the far end of the property in an old deserted woodshed. Fantomas was about to leave the house. He was already stepping onto the terrace when, suppressing an oath, he wheeled about suddenly. As Juve and Fandor were about to enter the grounds, Detective Michel rose up out of the dark. "'That you, sir?' "'Well,' replied Juve, "'is the bird in the nest?' "'Yes, sir, and the cage is well guarded, I assure you. Fifteen of my men kept a strict guard round the house.' "'Good. Here is the plan of action.' You, sergeant, will enter the house with Inspector Michel at my back. The men will continue to watch the exit. Juve broke off sharply. He saw the door of the house open a little way and Fantomas appear, then vanish again inside the house. At last, cried Juve, who sprang forward, followed by Fandor. Slowly, gentlemen, we have now victory in sight. We mustn't imperil it by rashness. You remain on the ground floor, each one in a room, and don't stir without good reason. I am going up. I'm going with you, exclaimed Fandor. The two went cautiously up the stair to the first floor. Fantomas, challenged Juve, halting on the landing. You are caught. Surrender. But the detective's voice only roused distant echoes. The big house was silent. Now, this is what we must do, he cautioned Fandor. Above us is a loft. We will search it first. If it is empty, we will close it again. Then we will come down again, taking each room in turn and locking it after us. At the slightest sound, fling yourself on the ground and let Fantomas fire first. 
the flash of the shot will tell us where it comes from. The two man-hunters searched the loft without success. At the first door, Juve repressed a slight tremor, for the handle of the door leading into Lady Beltham's room creaked ominously. He opened it, springing aside quickly, expecting to be fired at. The room was empty, no trace of Fantomas. The two passed into another room, then as soon as their visitation was complete, locked up the apartment. Suddenly, as they reached the foot of the stairs, Juve gave a violent start. From the door of the drawing room, a shadow, black from head to foot, came bounding out. Quick as lightning, the form crossed the anteroom, then plunged by a low entrance into the cellarage. Two shots rang out. Fantomas drew behind him a big bar and prided himself on the barrier he thus put between his pursuers and himself. But despite his consummate confidence, he was beginning to feel a certain uneasiness, an undeniable anxiety. His black mask clung to his temples, dripping with sweat. He crossed the basement to the little air hole overlooking the garden. That is a way of escape, he thought, unless... But baffled, he ceased his inspection. Curse it! There are three policemen before that exit. He scraped a match and reviewed the place in which he found himself, which, for that matter, he knew better than anyone. Facing him stood the dilapidated stove, and at his feet shimmered the cistern. All at once, Fantomas clenched his fists. Under the increasing blows of the detective and his men, the door of the basement yielded. Above the crash of the boards and ironwork, Jou's voice rang out, Fantomas, surrender! Fantomas groped in the darkness. His hand came on a bottle. A crackle of shattered glass was heard. Fantomas had taken the bottle by the neck and broken it against the wall. Juve, revolver in hand, followed by Fandor, moved cautiously down the stairs to the cellar. Both men were brave, yet they felt their hearts beating as though they would burst. Juve reached the last step. He pressed the knob of his electric torch. A rush of light lit up the little room. It was empty. Juve went the round of the cellar, carefully inspecting the walls and sounding them with the butt of his revolver. He went round the cistern. Its surface was black and still. A broken bottle, floating head downward, remained half-immersed, absolutely motionless. Fandor laid his hand on the detective's arm. Did you hear? Someone breathed. Beyond doubt, someone had breathed. Idiots that we are, he is in there, cried Juve, pointing to the pipe of the great stove. The detective caught sight in a corner of a number of bundles of straw. That is what we want, Fandor. We are going to make a bonfire. When the opening of the furnace was fitted, Juve set a light to it, and the flames rose, crackling, while up the pipe of the heater rose a pungent smoke, thick and black. And now to the openings of the stove. Sergeant, Michel, this way. Through the apertures in the ground-floor rooms, the great stove was beginning to smoke. A broken bottle with the bottom gone was floating head downward on the black water of the tank. Scarcely had Juve and Fandor gone, and the water was stirred, and slowly the mysterious bottle rose again to the top. Behind it rose the head of Fantomas, still wrapped in the black hood which now clung to his face like a mask molded on the features. Dripping, he issued from the tank and breathed hard for some moments. Despite his ingenious contrivance for feeding his lungs, he was not far from suffocating. All the same, he growled, if I hadn't remembered the plan of the Tonkingese who lie stretched at the bottom of a river for hours at a time, breathing through hollow reeds, I think that time we should have exchanged shots to some purpose. Fantomas was wringing out his garments in haste when loud cries sounded above his head, 
and two or three shots rang out. At the same time, a sudden stirring took place in and around the house. He turned it to account by going at once to the air hole. Now there was no one on guard. So Fantomas put his head through, then his shoulders. That's all right. The brute is dead. Jules was examining curiously the creature which lay helpless on the floor. Two trembling sergeants stood at the door of the room. We were expecting Fantomas to appear, and a snake unrolls itself and springs in our faces, cried Fandor. Half emerging from the mouth of the heater, the monstrous body of a boa constrictor lay on the floor. The men Juve had brought into the house were resolute, ripe for anything, but never did they imagine that Fantomas could assume such an unexpected shape. And terrified, overwhelmed with dread, they recoiled in a frenzy of fear and fled, calling on their mates outside, who at once ran to their assistance. "'Sir!' a terrified voice called from outside. Juve rushed to the window. A dripping creature, clad in black from head to foot, crossed the garden, running toward the servants' quarters. It was Fantomas. Juve swore a great oath. There he is, getting away. The detective left his cry unfinished. As he issued by the air holes, Fantomas leaped forward. He was free. Juve scored the first game. The second is mine, he cried. He reached the woodshed. With a practiced hand, he turned the electric tap, which ignited a spark in the dark closet behind the pantry. I win, shouted Fantomas, as a terrible explosion made itself heard. The earth shook. A huge column of black smoke rose skywards. Explosion followed explosion. The roar of falling walls was mingled with fearful cries and dying groans. Lady Belton's villa had been blown up, burying under its ruins the hapless men who, in their pursuit of Fantomas, had ventured too near. Assuredly, this arch-criminal had got away once more. But were Juve and Fandor among the dead? End of chapter 34 Recording by Alan Winteroud Audio.boomcoach.com End of The Exploits of Juve by Marcella Lane and Pierre Silvestre